Some things that are happening here at Rev coming up in the next few weeks, things that are happening in motion. Next week um, at 6 o'clock, there's a nursery meeting. This nursery meeting is for people who are interested in the nursery. The nursery involves kids. So if you know anything about kids, like kids, want to have kids, do have kids, don't have kids, want to be with kids, want to watch my kid, more importantly, be here at 6 o'clock, and we'll see Autumn. Is there, is Autumn, you in here? Is she right up here? We'll do it right in the atrium. Is there snacks? Is there food? Or is that just for the nursery kids? We can have some snacks, maybe even. So 6 o'clock next Sunday. If that's just something that you're gifted with, gifted with kids, um, see Autumn, see me. I have other babysitting on the side I could use, maybe, whatever. But see next week, 6 o'clock, if the nursery is something that you would like to be a part of. Um, this piece of paper, as you see on the table in the back, is the covenant, leadership slash core group covenant. This is an agreement between yourself, the Lord God Almighty, and the people involved to kind of just, if you're making revolution your home and you want to see God work through revolution as he sees fit um, and want to be a part of those things, putting those things in motion, this is something that you want to look at. We want you to take this piece of paper, read over it, look at the scripture that, that goes with each statement, make sure that they're true, something that you agree with and want to abide by. Um, and then in two weeks, we'll have a meeting with that and discuss how can this really take life and, and we'll have some more information. But take this paper, read it, pray about it, more importantly, and see if this is something that you want to be a part of. Uh, Super Bowl. The football, the best day of football in the year is happening on February 2nd. How that impacts us here at Revolution. Uh, the itty-bitty kids here at Christ Community need this building to do, to do what they do, to play, play their games and do their thing. So we are going to meet at 5 o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday. David Dowdy, what time are we meeting on Super Bowl Sunday? Five o'clock. So we will meet in here. We will continue to worship and learn and grow and, and be together. And then at that time, you can go eat your cheese dip and nachos and other chicken wings of, of whatnot. So five o'clock for that. Now that it is the new year, small groups are forming again and are meeting. If you're not a part of one and you want to be a part of one, see Ryan, see Kimsey, see David, see Jeremy, see Caleb, see somebody that... Um, that can get you plugged into something if that's what you want to be a part of. Okay, so there's a lot of things, and we'll cover it, but more importantly, next week is the most up-to-date one, nursery meeting, and then the covenant thing. So it is the new year, and we're going to dive right in here. Um, we're going to, before you got people coming in as they find seats, we're going to all stand up and meet people. And here's the thing. Everyone makes resolutions or don't make resolutions. Here's my question, and the question that I want you to ask someone next to you or someone you don't know. Which would be a harder thing for you to give up or keep a resolution? Would you be to give up your phone for a week or give up your favorite food item slash beverage, whatever it is, for a month? Which would be harder resolution to keep? Smartphone or phone for a week or favorite beverage food item for a month? So we'll turn some music on for about 30 seconds. I want you to stand up and meet someone you don't know. Again, it's either the phone or the food item. And I'm going to have Caleb come on up here. Caleb Hickerson, come on up. Let's have a seat. 
Just quick show of hands. Which would be harder resolution? The phone for a phone for no week. Food item slash beverage item. Ooh, that's about 50-50. Okay, we're 50-50. Caleb, you said the phone. The phone. You you are attached. For me, it's food item. Shocking. I like my food. I know. Um, guys, this is Caleb. Everyone say hi, Caleb. Hi. Caleb, why don't you tell us your name, a little bit about you. Um, Caleb is stepping into a more official role with us here at Revolution, um, and I'll let him kind of explain that and how his title, whatever his title he wants to be called, the almighty or the heiress to the guardian throne of the guitar, I don't know. But Caleb, give us a little introduction of you, what you want us to know about you, and and kind of why you and I are talking right here, right now. Uh, Well, my name is Caleb Joseph Hickerson, a very biblical name. Caleb Joseph, that's, okay, That nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> I am in my last semester at Shawnee in uh, philosophy and religion, so I'm very uh, smart and deep, so there's that. Um, and then what else? Uh, I'll be the worship pastor, I guess, or worship dude, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll, I coordinate worship stuff here now, so that's my jive. So, so. you put, you, you select the song, so if we hate the song, we come to you. Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. No. I mean, I'll, I'll probably be like, whatever, but... But more practically, yeah, you get you get the guys together to, to practice, to rehearse. You you kind of, you know, if there's a way to tie into the music with the message, you kind of do all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, basically, I get the schedule of, of what the sermons are going to be, and then I, you know, just spend time in prayer uh, trying to figure out what songs would, would best go with what, so... Okay. Um, tell us something about us that we don't know. About you that we don't know. That was uh, weird. Yeah. Tell us about us I, that we don't I know. I feel yeah. like I could go pretty bad pretty quick. I don't know. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Tell us guy. about Caleb that we don't uh, know. Besides your extremely good, amazing hair. Dude, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I can uh, tell you. Is that a hot that. spot? Um, wow. Man, I don't. That's, you put me on the spot. Uh, shoot. That's why it's called on the spot interview. Oh, man, I can't deal with it. Uh, what don't you know? Well, uh, oh, that's not that interesting. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very interesting of a guy. <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, oh, man. So many things. Um, uh, well, I'll be applying to uh, different places for social work, so that's one thing I'd like to be. Uh, I don't know how many Have you always that. been from the Portsmouth area? Uh, yeah, I grew up in, in uh, the Berg. The Berg is the word. Uh, yeah, I My guess. wife is from the Berg. It's a great place, isn't it? A lot it? of people don't like the Berg. I usually preface, hey, I'm from Wheelersburg. Please don't hate me. Like I said, my wife's from like the Berg. It. Isn't that a great place? It's. A, I think it's nice. I'm from there, though. I, I agree. This is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Caleb, you've obviously been a part of things from the beginning. It's been really neat to see you grow. What have you seen yourself, uh, what, how have you seen your life change as a part of what God's doing, doing through Revolution and how it's changed you? Um, because I know from the little, I don't know you as personally as, as some guys here, girls, but I, I've seen some growth in you. Do you want to expound on that, how... Revolution, the practicality of revolution has impacted your life and your growth and your walk. Um, well, uh, I guess sort of pertinent to um, what the series is about, um, the, the biggest thing obviously would be the gospel. I don't think before coming here I had a really great understanding of what that was. I just knew Jesus died on the cross and, you know, all that jazz. Um, it did, like that didn't really seem too clear to me. Whenever I started at Rev, it became really clear through, through the preaching and the worship that um, everything in our lives centers around the gospel. Everything in scripture centers, centers around what happened um, that day. So um, basically that's been the biggest change is just having a full, deeper understanding of the gospel and what's been done for, for me and, you know, all of us uh, as believers and, and um, what that means for us for our life. And that means um, I 
think first and foremost, like letting other people know. So. And, and that's, like I said, it's cool to see that growth in you and seeing, because you, I don't know, there's something about you that has changed that, and just my interactions with you that's been really neat. Obviously, you're in worship, grow, serve, you kind of tie to that worship mentality of, of, of revolution. How can we be praying for you as, as you as you step into this role more practically? Because you've been doing a great job over the time, definitely with your gifts as a musician and leading us in song. But as you as you grow into this other leadership aspect, how can we be praying for you? Um, well, I guess just uh, that God would, you know, give me his vision and, and what he wants to see for our worship team and, and for, uh, well, I guess you guys really, um, what, what God wants you guys to learn through, through the worship things. Uh, like the same things that I, that I find valuable that I think Ryan taught me and other people well. Um, I just pray that God would work that same way through me uh, for you kids. So, Guys, let's play for Caleb, and then uh, David will come and bring us the word tonight. God, I thank you so much for, for Caleb and um, the blessing he has, has been to us here as a body and uh, the talents you've given him, both musically, um, and, and, and we just are so blessed to have him a part of things here. Lord, as he steps into this role, will you continue to, to move in his heart? And um, Lord, work through him as others have worked through them to, to impact Caleb. May Caleb be able to impact us here the way um, things haven't worked for him in the past. And just with your blessing, Lord, that he'll be able to recognize what you see fit, uh, specifically in the music and the worship um, and the other forms of worship that we have here at Revolution. I thank you for Caleb, and uh, as we continue to, to grow and, and move forward with your blessing, Lord, that um, we're, just, we're, we're very grateful to have Caleb a part of helping us lead things here. Lord, it's in your very precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hello. Cool. What's up, Rev? You guys doing all right? Right on. This is like becoming like a ritual. You just move everything out of the way. Right on, man. Um, so this evening, I'm going to be preaching about total depravity. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, um, I have some confessions I want to make to you guys. Right. Some things about myself that you may know or you may not know. Um, one, I. I love Jesus, right? I mean, like, I mess up all the time. Sometimes I say or do some stupid stuff that would make you maybe think otherwise. Uh, but I truly love Jesus. I promise I wouldn't be here uh, if I didn't. Uh, the second thing is I love my mother. She's right here. She takes care of me. Um, she's fed me. She gives me all kinds of stuff I don't deserve. Um, two, I love my girlfriend, Autumn. And no, I did not get my numbers mixed up. I listed them both in the same number because I'm smart. And, uh, yeah, eh? I learned some stuff from Rolf back there. Um, Okay, three, I love my best friend, Nathan Wolf. okay? That's like the biggest bromance you've probably ever seen in your entire life. Okay, nothing's ever gotten physical, but we've been dating for nine years, okay? That's what, I, that's, that's what I'm getting at. This is my best friend in the world. Um, four, I know I don't know all of you guys personally, but I love all you guys, right? Um, I want to get to know more of you so we can actually be, like, friends. But I love you all in the sense that I want to see you guys grow uh, as followers of Christ, and I want to see you guys grow to understand the gospel and let that really change you, all right? And five, and aside from Jesus, this may be the most important one of them all. Um, I love metal, right? Like, I love metal music. I know we've had pastors, uh, or not pastors, Matt, our old pastor, said, like, he loved metal, but he didn't love metal, okay? Like, he liked hair metal and, like, glam rock and arena rock, which is just a bunch of dudes dressed up like chicks talking about drinking beer. Like, that's not metal. Like, that's stupid, all right, the 80s are dead, and may they rest in pieces. Like, I hate 
that music, all right? Like, that's not metal. Motley Crue and Poison and all that crap is not metal. This is metal. Go ahead, Jim. You ready? I know. That's metal. Okay, I didn't want to put any lyrics on there because that's not the best band to play in a church. Um, <laughs> yeah, not the cleanest stuff. Anyway, um, so I love metal. That's metal. Metal is aggressive. Metal is dark. Metal is, like, angry, super hateful a lot of the times. And I like it because it gets me pumped. And I think I like it for a couple of reasons. Okay, first, in, in metal bands, if you don't have a good drummer, you suck. All right? If you don't have a really good drummer, you, you are awful. Um, and I'm a drummer, obviously, so I really, really, really dig onto that genre of music. And second, and I think this is more important the older I get, um, the lyrics, okay? So, like, all, like, profanity aside that's in a lot of metal, um, metal is a really good commentary on the depravity of mankind, all right? About, like, our inherent wickedness, okay? And Because metal comments on it in a couple of ways. One, it'll be like, I see, like from, from like a, a lyricist's perspective, it'll be, I see something evil going on in the world, and I'm going to just comment on it, just like narrate what I see happening, okay? And then the second way, and it, they kind of inadvertently do this, um, metal lyricists will see something going on that they don't like, and they'll say, this is what I would like to do uh, to justify, like, like to bring justice to this situation if there were no consequences for my actions, Okay? And that inherently t- shows us the depravity of the lyricists because it's usually some like heinous, like awful things that they say they'd like to do to whoever crossed them or whatever. Um, but I, I really like those lyrics because they're honest and they tell us just how bad that we are, right? Um, so anyways, let's go ahead and define total depravity. Okay, so I've said the word a lot. I'm going to throw it up here. Total depravity is the teaching that as a consequence of the fall of man, Every person born into the world is enslaved to the service of sin and, apart from the grace of God, is utterly unable to choose to follow God or refrain from evil. Okay, that's really heavy, right? Like, this probably isn't the sermon you expected to hear. Like, this is not very upbeat. Um, So, the fall of man. Okay, because of the fall of man, we're all born sinners. And for those of you who don't know what that is, the fall of man, you all know the story of Adam and Eve, right? Like, in Genesis, God makes Adam and Eve. He says, you have dominion over earth. Earth's going to give you food, take care of the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Don't eat the fruit from this one tree, okay? That's God's only command to him. Which, by the way, have you ever, like, thought about how sweet Adam's gig was? Like, like be fruitful and multiply, take care of the earth, and I'll feed you. Like, I thought about what that means in the context of my life, and that would be, like, me getting married and moving in with my mom and her saying, have sex with your wife, I'm going to cook all your meals and play with the cats that we have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like play with the animal and sleep with your wife. Like, how did Adam not think that that was cool? Like, that's, I would love to do that. Have you ever been to the zoo? Um, like, like that, that's like that. I would love that so much. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm depraved. Um, so, so we have that. Um, but what does Adam and Eve do? They decide to eat the fruit anyway, and they sin. Okay, now sin, by definition, we got we to do a little bit of like defining stuff and I got to like nail some, some, some thoughts, like some concepts home before we can move into the text and stuff that I'm going to be in. Um, sin, okay, they said sin enters, enters the world because Adam um, decided to eat the fruit. Um, sin is rebellion against God. 
Okay, it's one of the ways that the Bible defines it. I think it's the most accurate uh, definition. Sin is rebellion against God. Now, if you don't understand what I mean by that, I mean um, God is the holy, pure ruler of the universe, okay? And he says to do or to not do something. And then we say, I think I know better than you. I think I'm smarter than you. I think I know what's best for me. So I think I'm God. So I'm going to try to take your place right now. And I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. That's what sin is every time. Sin is open rebellion to God, okay? Now, that rebellion is like you're trying to usurp God, right? You're trying to overthrow his authority in the universe, okay? Because you're, you're giving him the finger and saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't think that you have the right to tell me what to do. That is treason, okay? Think about like a government. You have rebels that try to overthrow the government and they do it unsuccessfully. They get charged with treason every time. What's the penalty for treason? Anyone? Thank you. Penalty for treason is death. Now, God is a just God, okay? Um, And because he is so eternally pure and eternally holy and innocent and selfless and loving, to sin against him and rebel against that deserves the most awful punishment, and that is eternal death and eternal damnation in hell. That's it's justice. Like, that is, that's fair. God is eternally pure, so we deserve eternal uh, punishment whenever we rebel. Okay, so sin is rebellion, and rebellion is treason. Treason deserves the death penalty, all right? And keep this in mind, too, because we're going to talk about it towards the end of the sermon. I want you guys to, to remember this. Um, the only way that God ever gives us in the Old Testament or anywhere, uh, for that matter, is the only way for us to be forgiven for our rebellion and treason is that something has to die in our place. Okay, in the Old Testament, it was you sin, you rebelled against God, sacrifice an animal. That animal takes your punishment, which is death. You kill the animal, it dies in your place for your sin. Okay, so remember that concept. God says that is the only way that anyone can be forgiven for, for disobeying God. All right, so let's, uh, we're going to go into Romans uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 12 and 18 and 19. And you don't have to dig for your Bible if you don't want to. They're going to be up here. Um, and by the way, if you want a Bible, take those home with you. Um, it's the New Living Translation. It's good stuff. It's really easy to read. Uh, take one of those with you. You don't have a Bible. They're free. Um, so Romans uh, 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Okay, so right off the rip, Adam sins uh, by rebelling against God and eating the fruit. Sin enters into the world. Rebellion enters into the world because Adam introduced the concept of rebellion to the world. Okay? Um, so, so Adam's sin brought death um, because, like I said, the punishment for sin is death, both physical death and spiritual death. We were not created to die. We were created to live forever. But because of Adam's sin, everything has to die. Um, and his death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Okay? Um, now let's check out 18 and 19. I, I just cherry-picked a couple, like, like one sentence from each of these, but we're going to come back and check them all in context. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. 19. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. All right, now how does this make sense? Because this used to kind of mess with me. Like, how does Adam's sin affect me? All right, and the best kind of way that I can think about um, explaining that is like think of like spiritual genetics, I suppose, right? Like Adam and Eve sinned, so they are both sinners. Two sinners can't make anything but another sinner. Does that make sense? So two sinners can't make anything but another sinner, just like my two cats can't make a horse, right? 
Um, I know that's a really crude and stupid way of, that's how my mind works. Um, so two sinners always make a sinner. That sinner gets with another sinner and makes another sinner. And it's just a big cycle of sinners making more sinners. So we inherit this sinful nature from Adam. Okay? And because of that, all of us deserve to die. We are all born sinners, so we all deserve hell from the get-go because we're born rebels. It's part of our nature now. So Adam has passed it down because we all come from Adam, right? We can all trace our lines back to Adam and Eve. Um, so we all have this problem because Adam introduced rebellion into the world. Um, you know, to take it a step further, not only are we born sinners, but uh, Psalms 51.5 says that at the moment of conception, you're a sinner, right? Sperm hits egg and you're a sinner right off the bat, like cell division, and you're already in a world of trouble. Um, and, and I know a lot of people don't like the idea of like, children uh, being labeled as sinners, like babies, like they, what have they done wrong? Like, and, I, and I get that. But uh, let's think about like kids for a minute, all right? I have a three-year-old nephew. His name's Easton, and I love him, but he's a little sinner. Um, he's adorable. He's an adorable little sinner, but make no mistake, he is a godless, rebellious sinner. Um, <laughs> and, here's what, and here's what, I know that sounds harsh, but it, 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 it is what it is. Um, let me tell you a few stories on him. Uh, one, <laughs> Sometimes he tries to say words and they don't come out the way that they should. And they sound like something bad. All right. Uh, he tried to say the word pathetic to his mother and it didn't come out pathetic. Um, I can't tell you what he actually said um, into this microphone because they'll never let me preach here again. Um, and his mom says, where did you hear that word? And he, like I said, he was trying to say pathetic, but she heard something else. And she, he goes, David. And for those of you who know me, that's not like the farthest stretch of imagination to think that I would like tell a kid to say something really stupid, all right? Uh, but I didn't, right? And in fact, my mom was the one who taught him the word pathetic. It wasn't me at all. So he lied, okay? So we have that. Um, Easton, if you have something that he wants, he'll just take it from you, all right? He'll like come over and try to take it out of your hand. If you don't give it up easily, he'll get like kind of violent and like try to pull it out of your hands and stuff. Um, so there's that. Um, and he'll just outright take it sometimes. Um, he'll throw a fit if you don't give him what he wants. He'll start throwing, like, trucks and stuff across the room. Um, and, like, we were at the, we, me, and, me and my family were at Applebee's um, a few nights ago, and his mom kept telling him not to do something. I forget what it was, but she was telling him, don't do whatever. And he was watching her out of the corner of his eye. And as soon as she would go to take a bite and put her head down, he would immediately start doing it. And then he'd watch her, though. And so as soon as she put her head back up, he was, like, done. And he was, like, staring her down the whole time. It was really funny. All right. But let's recap, really, what he did. Like, they seem funny to us, but he is a, he's lied. He coveted something that didn't belong to him. He stole something that didn't belong to him. He got violent in order to get what he wanted, and he disobeyed his parents. Four of those five things are Ten Commandments. He's a sinner. No one taught him how to sin either. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie. You don't te- have to teach a kid how to covet. You don't have to teach a kid how to steal. They're going to do it because it's in our nature. So I just want to drive home the idea that we were born sinners. It's evident in children. Like, no one has to teach us how to sin. We just do it naturally. We do it instinctually because we're born rebels. You know? And and keep this in mind, too. Um, And I know this is really harsh for me to say, but, like, even though he's a a child, um, he stands condemned to hell for, for sin. Right? And I know that sounds really rough. And... I'm not up here saying that I think children go to hell. That's a whole other sermon. It's a whole other conversation. But make no mistake about it, the Bible is very clear that babies stand condemned 
to hell for, for being born sinners. Make no mistake about that. The Bible does teach that. Like I said, I'm not saying that they do, in fact, go to hell if they die, uh, but that's a whole other topic. We can talk about that if any of you guys want to come and talk to me about that after the sermon. Um, so let's check out Romans 8, 7, and 8. All right. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Okay, so from birth, we deserve hell because we are born hostile to God. We can't obey God. We don't want to obey God. We can't please God. We don't want to please God. Okay, and keep this in mind, too. All sin that we commit, just thinking about the, the children again, all sin that anyone commits is first and foremost against God. Okay, if I steal something from Wolf, it's a first, it's a sin against God, and then it's a sin against Wolf. All sin is vertical first, all right? So all sin is damning before it is, like, bad to the people around us. All right. Um, so from birth, we are hostile. Right? Like that, that word hit me really hard. Like not only am I just a sinner, but I am like openly hostile towards God and his goodness and his law. Um, so we sin because it's in our nature as sinners to sin. Um, and we can't um, obey or please God. That is total depravity. All right. That there's nothing good in us, that we are openly hostile and there's nothing good about us, there's nothing good in our nature, that we're tainted by sin from the first breath that we take. Um, so we've identified our problem, right? So what can we do to avoid the punishment for sin, right? But before we go into that, um, I want you guys to understand a distinction. Total depravity does not mean, um, if you're totally depraved, it does not mean that you were utterly depraved, all right? Um, total depravity, I'm totally depraved in the sense that I'm totally a sinner. I was totally born a sinner. Uh, there is absolutely no good in me because of the nature I was born into. Okay, that's total depravity. Utter depravity is I'm as wicked and sinful as I can be. Does that make sense? Like, I, uh, I'm not proud of this, but a, a couple of months ago, I lied in order to get myself out of a tight spot. All right, I'm not proud of that. It was sin. I don't uh, condone that, but I sinned. Um, but Adolf Hitler killed 6 million Jews, or had 6 million Jews killed, right? We are both totally depraved, but he was utterly depraved. He was as absolutely evil as he could have been. I, on the other hand, am not as evil as I could be. I've not killed anyone yet. Um, yet. I don't know why I said that. This is, this is being taped. I want you all to know that, so this is, this is bad. Um, <laughs> this is evidence, incriminating evidence. Um, <laughs> All right, so because that we're totally depraved, but we're not utterly depraved, uh, some people will argue, well, I'm not as bad as I could be, so that must mean to some degree that I'm good. And if there's some good in me, then I, I clearly don't deserve hell because I'm not as bad as I could be. And that would be like a solid argument if like your scale of measuring goodness was worth anything. Um, like anytime that we say like I'm a good person or like she's a good person, we're comparing sinners to sinners, right? Like compared to Hitler, I'm a really, really good person. Like I'm like Mother Teresa compared to Hitler, right? Um, but compared to my sister, my sister was a virgin when she got married. She's never been drunk. She's never, like, sold drugs. She's never done drugs. You know what I mean? Like, compared to my sister, I'm the devil, right? And she's, like, a really good person. Um, but once again, you're comparing one person that was born a sinner to another sinner to another sinner to another sinner. That scale doesn't matter. The only scale that actually matters is us in comparison to God's perfect holiness, that's God's standard. God's scale is a standard of absolute perfection, perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, perfect everything. Okay, and like I said, because we're born sinners, we've already missed that mark. 
I'm repeating myself a lot. I really want to drive that home. There is nothing good about you. There's nothing good about me. We're screwed from the moment that we're born. So our goodness that we judge people on is a relative scale. All right? Um, Sorry. So our goodness is on a relative scale. But our rebellious minds won't accept the fact that there's no good in us. And our rebellious minds won't accept the fact that, um, that we can't be good enough. All right? So they say, oh, well, I have to be as pure and as holy as God then to escape my punishment, right? Because his scale is perfection, so I have to be really good. I have to do what he says. That's his scale of judgment on, is, is, is comparing me to the things that he's decreed um, for us to do and, and abstain from. So people get this idea of work salvation. They think that I'm going to be good enough, that I'm going to obey God well enough, um, that I don't deserve hell anymore. And there's a couple of problems with that. One, Romans 3.10 tells us that no one is righteous. Isaiah, I think it's 64.6, says that your righteousness is a dirty rag to God. Um, and then Romans 8, 7, and 8, like we just checked out, says that your nature is openly hostile to God, and it cannot and never will please him. All right, so right off the rip, that's problem number one with thinking that you're going to be, like, a good enough person or um, you're going to, like, work and earn your salvation by being obedient. You can never obey God, and you can never please God. And the second problem with that, and this one really kicked my teeth in whenever I, like, it made me feel really hopeless. Um, let's say you can, like, white-knuckle yourself to, like, perfect obedience in God, right? Like, let's say that were possible. It, it's, imp- it's impossible. Let's say you could white-knuckle yourself to perfect obedience in a sinless life starting now. All right? One, you still have the problem that you were born a sinner. I keep repeating that. You still have that huge problem that you're born a sinner. And the second problem is God judges whether or not a deed is good based off of your relationship to him. All right? A, good, a deed or something like we're doing is only good if it's done in order to bring God glory because you delight in how holy he is and you delight in his grace and you want to bring him honor and glory because you delight in that so much. All right, that's the only way um, that a deed is judged as good. That's the only way that anything we do is judged as righteous. Right? But if you're white-knuckling yourself to obedience thinking that you're going to earn your salvation that way, your intent is not to bring God glory. Your intent is to save your skin. Your intent is just to avoid hell. You could care less about God's glory. You just want to avoid your punishment. So your intent is selfish, not God-honoring. So even if you can obey God perfectly, your intent makes it sin. Romans 14.23 in the English Standard Version says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Right? So whatever does not proceed um, from wanting to bring God glory, which is what faith does, it makes us want to bring God glory. Um, so whatever doesn't proceed from wanting to do that is sin. All right? So anything that we do apart from, from that is not good. So there's nothing good in us. There's nothing good that we can do. We can't obey God perfectly. And even if we could obey God perfectly, our intent still makes it sinful. Like I said just a minute ago, like we are in a lot of trouble. We are screwed. Um, Romans 6, 7, and 8, Paul uses a metaphor of slavery really heavily. All right? Paul uses this metaphor that, that slave is your master, or I mean, <laughs> sin is your master, and you're a slave to sin. All right? Slaves have no free will. Slaves do as their master tells them to. They can't think for themselves. They're going to make no decisions. They just do as they're told. And if sin is our master, that's all we can do is sin. He drives that point home really hard. Um, you know, talk about feeling like a slave to, to you can only do what sin tells you to do, and sin always tells you to sin. Paul says in uh, Romans seven eighteen and 19, 
says, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That sounds a lot like slavery to me. Even if I want to obey God, I can't. And if I want to stop doing evil, I still can't stop doing evil. I'm completely depraved. I cannot fix myself. I can't do anything good. I can't do anything right. I can't do anything to avoid my punishment for for sin because sin is my master from the moment I'm born. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, uh, Paul says um, that we were dead in our sins. Right? What can a dead man do? Nothing but rot. You know, like a, a dead man can't take action to bring himself back to life. And we're spiritually dead from the moment we're born. So if we're spiritually dead, how are we going to make ourselves spiritually alive? We can't. All we can do is sit there and like fester and rot in our sinfulness and do what sin tells us to do and dig the hole deeper. All right, so let's, let's recap this like utterly hopeless situation. Let's, let's, let's recap this. We're born sinners, all right? Sin deserves hell. We must be as holy as God to escape hell. We cannot be holy because we are slaves to our sin. We cannot make ourselves alive in faith because we're dead. We cannot make ourselves spiritually alive because we are spiritually dead. And we are completely hellbound, and there is nothing we can do about it. I guess heavy, man. Like, we are hellbound from the moment we're born, and there's nothing we can do about it at all. Nothing in us, because there's no good in us. And you have to be perfectly good and perfectly righteous in order to avoid your punishment. You know, Paul sums up this feeling of desperation really, really well, I think, in Romans 7, 24. Um, He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You know, even then, he says, I can't free myself. Someone, an outside source is going to have to be the one that frees me because I'm a slave. What can I do? I can do nothing. This is a life dominated by my own sin that is my master and death that will, that will follow it. Righteous judgment from God. Let's, let's, let's check it again. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will set me free from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But the answer is Jesus Christ. He will set us free. Right? Everything bad about us, he will set us free from. He'll set us free from our slavery to sin. He will make us alive in faith to Jesus. Right? Jesus is going to do everything for us, but our freedom will not come cheap. Our freedom will come at a very, very high price. Remember what I said earlier at the very beginning that, that um, God only gives us one way that sin is taken care of and that's something to die in your place for your sin so that you don't have to? That's exactly what Jesus is going to have to do. All right, so Jesus comes to earth all right, and he's born and he's the first person in history born not a sinner. All right? And he's born not a sinner because the Holy Spirit puts him in Mary's belly. So he's not part sinner. He's nothing. He's put there and he grows there, all right? So he's not part sinner. He is fully sinless whenever he's born, all right? So we're sinners when we're born. Jesus is sinless, all right? And then Jesus lives a life of perfect righteousness and perfect obedience to God, whereas we live a life that is in complete, open, hostile rebellion to God where we don't want to obey him and we can't. 
All right, so then Jesus has lived a sinless life. He doesn't deserve to physically die, and he does not deserve to spiritually die. But what does he do? He takes our sin on himself. And then he offers himself up as a sacrifice, just like the animals in the Old Testament. He offers himself as a sacrifice for our sin in our place. And then God raises him from the dead three days later. I know I just kind of skipped over it, but I really need to drive home the point that God poured his wrath out on Jesus because sin deserves hell. So God poured out literal hell. I'm not being metaphorical. God poured out literal hell on Jesus on the cross. That's the only way justice could have been done. So Jesus endured physical death and spiritual hell on the cross so that we don't have to. And then God raises him from the dead three days later to show that God counted that as a good sacrifice, as, as, a, as, as a sacrifice that, that paid what we owed him for our sin. Justice was served, and Jesus is the one who took our justice. All right, so now the Holy Spirit, remember I said we're spiritually dead? The Holy Spirit comes and, and awakens us, and he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel. He makes us understand the gospel when we hear it. There's nothing we can do. We can't make ourselves hear it, but the Holy Spirit now comes and he awakens us, okay, to the gospel. And he points us to Jesus and says, follow Jesus now. Okay, and because of that, we put our faith in Christ. And whenever we put our faith in Christ, we now owe God nothing for our sin because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. Okay, and then to take it a step further, you know, we said we have to be as perfect and righteous as God to avoid hell and to enter into his presence in heaven. Jesus then gives us his perfect life. It's called imputed righteousness. God gives us, or Jesus gives us his perfect life so that whenever we die, we're not even judged on the mistakes that we made in the past or the mistakes that we're gonna make in the future. We're only judged off of Jesus' perfect life, his perfect righteousness and his perfect obedience rather than our sinful, hostile, open rebellion to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news that that we are depraved, that we are filthy, that there is no good in us, that there is nothing that we can do to avoid our punishment. There is nothing we can do to spiritually awaken ourselves, to want to obey God or, or put our faith in Jesus, but that every single step of the way, Jesus accomplishes every part of our salvation for us. We were dead and he makes us alive. He gives us his perfect life. He does everything for us because he loves us so much. He would not leave it up to chance. He would not leave it up to us to accomplish our own salvation. But every step of the way, he did everything. All right, now, I'm sure you guys are kind of wondering why we're doing this sermon in the evangelism series. All right, and we're, we're doing this in the evangelism series because I really want you guys to understand. I've, I've said it a million times, everyone's a sinner. So everyone that you've ever met or will ever meet or that you know right now is a sinner. And they stand in front of God condemned to death and hell for what they've done. Even if you think that they're an all right person, your scale is jacked. All right? Even if you think they're not as bad as they could be, they're still bad enough to go to hell. So we must tell people the bad news that there is nothing good in us, that there is nothing they can do to avoid hell. And then tell them the good news that Christ has paid their punishment for their sin if they put their faith in him. All right, if we love them, we will do that. If we're Christians, we will tell them 
the gospel because everyone needs a savior and Jesus has been our perfect savior. He's been the author of our salvation. He has done everything for us. All right, so, so let's check out Romans 5, uh, 18 and 19. Okay, here it is. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Jesus has done everything for us. Through Jesus, we are righteous. There is no righteousness in us. There is no good in us, but Jesus is our goodness. And that's what we have to tell people. So if they put their faith in Christ, they're no longer condemned. There's no condemnation in Christ. He will be their goodness for them. He will make up for whenever they fail. We have to tell people. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for, for letting us um, gather together, God, to, to be taught and to teach and to worship together. Um, Father, I thank you for the understanding of depravity. Um, God, thank you for, for making it clear in Scripture, God, that I am wicked. I am awful. God, we can look um, on the news and see people murder each other for no reason. We can see people kill their children. God, we can see people addicted to drugs. We can see prostitution. God, we can see all the wicked things of the world. Um, but thank you so much for Jesus being the good that we cannot be. Thank you so much for Jesus paying the penalty for our sin. Um, God, just let, let, your, let, let, let the doctrine of depravity never leave our mind, God, so that we can't be fully upset with people when they sin because it's just in their nature to do what they're doing. God, not that not that, that makes it okay, God, but help us to have a, a heart of a, a brokenheartedness, God, because they're trapped in, 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 the, in the mire of their sin. Um, Father, I pray that, that we take what we've learned this evening, God, and use that as fuel for the fire, God, that we would go and tell people the gospel because we understand that everyone we know, apart from faith in your son, stands condemned to hell. God, let that be motivation to go out and tell people the gospel. Father, let us never lose sight, though, that you are our righteousness and you are our goodness. Thank you for being our goodness, Jesus. Amen.